while you remain standing, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalms. <clears throat> the book of Psalms, chapter number 69. Psalm, chapter number 69. <clears throat> Psalm, chapter number 69. I'll read out loud. If you'll read silently along with me, we'll read this together. Psalm chapter number 69, starting in verse number 7. Verse number 7. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. I have become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. When I wept, and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sat in the gate speak against me, and I was a song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercies, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Our text verse be verse number eight, if you look back there once again. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, that's, that's his real brothers, and an alien to my mother's children. That's his family. And so I want to talk to you about that tonight and see if I can't help you here a little bit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for helping us to understand what it is about this life seems so confusing at times, Lord, if we did not have your book to explain some things to us, the whys that seem to be so confusing. I guess we'd go through life just in a daze trying to figure it all out. But you tell us what happens and why. And I thank you for that. Please bless and help us. Let me be of help to your people. Calm our fears. Strengthen us, please, in spirit and in body, that we might do a better work for thee. I love you and ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think of how he came so far from glory, came to dwell among the lowly, such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace on Mount Calvary take my place then I ask myself this question who am I who would bleed and die for who am I that he would pray not 
my will thine Lord the answer I may cross he would go for who am I when I'm reminded of his words I'll leave thee never could have done to receive God's only son to fight my battles until they're won for who am I who am I that a king would bleed and die for who am I that he would pray not my will thine Lord the answer I may never know To an old rugged cross he would go, for who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who I may never know why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he would go for who am I that to an old rugged cross he would go for who am Psalm sixty nine. Verse number eight, for I become a stranger unto my brethren and alien unto my mother's children. When we first become Christians, 
we step out of a world of emptiness and confusion and sin and upheaval and I mean it's just a mess. And then we get saved and instantly we walk into a world of calm and peace and 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 purpose and direction. One that's filled with love and I'm talking about how the individual feels and it is a reality by the way. And we just want to share it with everybody. I still remember those days. I do. 51 years ago, I remember exactly what happened. No new born-again Christian sets out to make enemies. No newborn Christian sets out to attack anybody. No newborn Christian starts to wage war on people who are still living in sin. They just come out of there. And they have so much love and, and so much uh, uh, kindness inside of them because of Christ. They just want to share it with everybody. They, they don't know any different, so they just go at that and try to help everybody. Some of the first people that we try to help are our old friends or our family members. That doesn't make any difference what's been going on in the family with your friends. The first people you want to witness to is to them. You think to yourself, man, I love this. They'll love it too. So you set out to tell everybody about it. Then he'll usually try to win his old enemies because he doesn't want any. He doesn't have any. He got right with God. I don't have any enemies. I think I'll go talk to them too. I remember trying to do that also. He, but the Bible teaches that he has a zeal, but not according to knowledge. There's a lot of things he does not understand yet, but he's going to go at it with all that he's worth, and that's called a having a zeal, but not according to knowledge. He honestly believes his worst enemy could become his friend if he'd listened to what he has to say about salvation, that they could everything would be okay. If he just listened to me, they would no longer be enemies. So off he goes, witnessing to everybody, having a great time. He doesn't even know the Bible, doesn't know the verses yet, but he knows what happened to him, and he's going to do his best to describe it to everybody. He's telling them about God's love and how to be saved, and boy, he's having a great time. You remember those days? You remember when you first got, you don't, maybe you need to get saved. Those, the first thing, whether you planned it or not, you wanted to tell somebody about it. And so this is what happens. He soon finds out, though, that his old enemies want to stay his old enemies. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen. They want to go on the way that they are. They don't want to hear about Jesus. But he admits that. He starts to understand that. And if he doesn't quit, he soon just keeps moving on, doing what God has instructed him to do. He gives to the folks that do not know him. He goes to them and tries to give Christ away to them, like knocking on doors and talking to people on the job and somebody you passed in the hallway, and you say, hey, by the way, excuse me, uh, do you have one of these? I'm not sure how to go about this, but I want to tell you what happened to me last weekend. And this is what we try to do, and we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. So we start making new enemies. Hey, keep that to yourself. Don't be telling me about that. Hey, why don't you go to church and keep it there? And we don't even understand what's going on. We thought, man, I'm so happy. You'd be happy too if you had what I had. But if he doesn't quit, he soon learns to just keep on trusting the Lord and he'll try to go to somebody else. By the way, all of this has nothing to do with him personally about the enemies and people getting upset with him. It has nothing to do with him personally. It has to do with his brand new friend, Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand some things here. For example, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 22, and ye shall be hated of all men for my namesake. Jesus said that. Jesus said, you're going to be hated because of me, not because of you. You'll be hated because of me. Matthew chapter number 10, verse 22. In John 17, 14, I have given them thy word, Jesus talking to his father, and the world hath hated them. Now, I know this is foreign to modern day Christianity. 
Uh, why would the world hate you if you're a good Christian? I don't know. They hated Jesus. He's a pretty decent Christian. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Jesus is saying the reason they hate me would be the same reason they hate you. I don't fit in here. You don't fit in here. It's because of me that this is going on in your life. Go to John chapter number 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter number 15. In John chapter number 15, here's what the Bible has to say here, starting in verse number 18. Now, this is Jesus again talking to us. And we as Christians, we go along, pretty soon we forget this. This is a part of the Bible just like anything else is. Listen to me very carefully. If the world, I'm down in verse number 18, John chapter 15. If the world hates you, why would the world hate me? It's modern day Christianity. Why would they hate me? All I want to do is try to help. Again, it has nothing to do with you personally. It has to do with your new friend, Jesus Christ. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, Jesus was a pretty good Christian. I'm, being, I'm, I'm mocking a little bit here. I'm making fun of something that's absolutely not true. Uh, Jesus was uh, the best Christian, the best Christian. The Bible says he was perfect. No guile was found in his mouth. He didn't deceive. He didn't mislead. He didn't, he did, everything he did was perfect, and they hated him. The Bible said men love darkness rather than light, and they won't come to the light lest their evil deeds should be reproved. That's the reason why. Now you have Christ in you. Now watch very carefully what he says in verse number 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. You're like those you run with. My mom wasn't even saved. She knew that. And watch what he says. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, because of that, the world hateth you. That's it. I received Christ, and now the world doesn't like me. No, it doesn't not like you. It hates you. That's the word that's used. You see that right there? It hates you. Now, my question would be this. If you've been saved very long, why is it people don't hate you? I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. You're a better Christian than Jesus and John the Baptist and James and Matthew and Mark and no? Then why is it you don't have enemies for Christ's sake? Now, if you punch people and you steal things from people, I know why you have enemies. But we're talking about for Christ's sake. Isn't that what we said? Isn't that what Jesus said? Look at the next verse. Verse number 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You understand that? This is not optional. This is not optional. This isn't a maybe. If they have kept my saying, they will also keep, your, uh, keep yours also. You have to understand here. So the reason the new Christian soon learns for the hatred is because of his new friend. His new friend. And you're going to be challenged to leave your new friend out of the picture so that we can get along. Now, I know this is foreign. In today's society, I've listened to a lot of Christian radios. Nobody preaches this stuff anymore because we all want to be lovey-dovey, and if we do what's right, people understand. I'm sorry, that's not Bible. It's not Bible at all. So what happens here is simply this, sharing their new friend, Jesus Christ. Now, if you shut up and don't say anything, you might be able to get along with people. I don't know how a born-again Christian does that. How do you do that? The greatest gift ever given to man. And somehow, you never feel led to talk to anybody about salvation. In so doing, folks all around him, because now they become their enemy, you just see if this isn't true, they start making jokes about you. 
You become a preacher, didn't you? When all you did was got saved, start going to church. You know what I'm talking about? They, you start becoming the blunt of jokes. Purposely, they cuss around you just to see what you'll do. They purposely do that. You say, oh, no, they've always done that. No, they're doing it more now just to see if they can get a rise out of you. They make jokes about you. They set you up. They set traps for you according to Psalm. That's what it says all the time. They set traps for the righteous. They purposely do things around you. They're overly critical, expecting you to have answers that even a lot of preachers don't have yet. And it's always the same dumb question. Uh, you're safe. What can't get his wife? They know you can't answer that. Even most preachers can't answer that. So the thing is, that's what, can God do anything? You, can, you ready for this? Yes, God can do anything, says the young Christian. And he's right. But the Bible says, do not entertain a fool in his folly. Foolish questions you're supposed to avoid. Well, if God can do anything, can he make a boulder so big he can't pick it up? That's a foolish question. Now, if you think that's a good question, you never mind. So, watch what he says here. Many of their old enemies now even become worse. Now, why would that happen? Why is this all going? Expecting perfection, all these things. They start to spread rumors. Inter they, they, they interrupt your soul winning. You ever notice that? You have to witness somebody, and here comes this little jerk, uh, this person uh, down the street, yeah. and out of nowhere, Hey, what are y'all talking about? Uh, can I sell? What's wrong with earrings on men? And they're asking goofy, stupid questions. You're talking to somebody about Jesus. And they interrupt and they start that kind of stuff. They try to get you fired from the job. That's happened to me numerous times when I used to work for a living. They become violent and threatening. Honestly, I've had people get right in my face and I thought, any moment, I'm going to take this guy out. Or he'll take me out. Somebody's going out. They start these kinds of things. But again, if he does not quit, if he does not quit, he begins to learn. He begins to understand, and he just goes on. He does not like what's going on. He, do, he wishes it weren't that way, but he adjusts and continues on. But there is an enemy. There is one. That hurts above all the rest of them. And we just don't know what to do with it. So God instructs us on what to do. This is an enemy which wounds us so deeply, most Christians cannot handle it. They can't handle it. They just don't know what to do about it. It makes no sense to them, and they feel that with this enemy, they can't fight back. They, they don't know what to do. Who is this enemy which hurts so deep? Who is this? Who is this enemy which wounds seemingly to the place that you can't recover from it? Who is this? Who's this? Now, I fit my old friends. I talk to people I didn't know. I talk to other people. That makes sense. Yeah, I understand. They don't get it. I got that. But who is this enemy that almost now destroys me, causes me to back away, causes me to give in, causes me not to talk anymore about the Lord? Who is this new enemy? Who is this enemy that causes most Christians not to fight back, to lose their zeal, to hold back on their witness and make excuses for their family? and their relatives. I want you to go to Psalm 69. We were there to begin with, right? Psalm 69. Let's go back to our text verse, and let me point some things out to you. In Psalm 69, starting in verse number 7, in verse number 9, David says an enemy reproaches him. It reproaches him. But in verse number 10, he says they cause him to weep. 
Now this, this is hurtful. David was a warrior, and he's crying about something. He goes on in verse number 10, and he, they cause him to pray and fast. I mean, he's desperate. When people start giving up food, that's desperate. Seriously, it is, and God knows that. That's why he, he puts a lot of value on fasting. You're giving up something essential to life. This must be important to you. And then the Bible said because of his fasting in verse number 10, they reproach him for that. They said that was a good thing. He's trying to figure out how to help them and how to bring things together. And because he's fasting, they find out about that. And now they're upset with him about that also. Look at verse number 11. The more he tried not to give them any reason to talk about him, he becomes a proverb. Now they just make short sayings about him. A proverb. A proverb is a short, uh, you got all of this and you put it into one line and it's, uh, it's supposed to have wisdom to it, but the world now is making fun of him. In verse number 12, now he even had authorities speaking against him. Boss, some political guy downtown, six on your side, somebody, you know what I'm talking about. And so what happens here is simply this. Now he's at the place and even drunkards, now I mean just how bad can this get? Drunkards down at the bar. Yeah, you remember Bell, right? Yeah, what a character. And they're making up stuff about him. David is this, and they're singing about him. Not good songs. Bad songs. Degrading songs. Embarrassing songs. Songs that would make him look bad no matter what happened. Who was the cause of this hurt? Who was it that David said was the people who were doing this to him? In verse number 8, look what he has to say. I have become a stranger to my brethren and an alien to my mother's children. That's family. Don't care how you slice it, mother's children, that'd be your family. The young Christian normally adjusts to friends getting upset if they don't quit, if they don't quit. To people, their old enemies, they're trying to win, they're going to stay that way. Okay, we understand that. Somehow we figure this out. If we don't quit, if we don't quit. But what we do about family? What do we do about relatives? What do we do about his own folks hating him and upset with him? Family, we just, we just didn't expect family to be upset because of Jesus, did we? Yet Jesus said they will. He said they hated me, they'll hate you. They hated me long before they hated you, by the way. He just wants us to understand he's gone through this himself. He said, preacher, do you really think that there are enemies? I mean, a foe out to get us? Seriously? my own family, my own relatives, let me ask you a question. Those of you that have been saved very long, has your family ever tried to silence you about talking about Jesus? Have they ever done that? I'm just asking you to think about it. Did they attack with questions and reasoning when you got saved? They knew you couldn't answer that. What do you think they were trying to do? Did they ever wound you with sayings like this? when you slipped and weren't perfect, things like this, and you're supposed to be a Christian. How many people ever heard that one? Oh, yeah. I'll give you a great line to use on that. No, I'm not. I'm not supposed to be a Christian. I am a Christian. Uh, uh, then they don't say it, okay? Have you ever, they said something like this, after the way you were raised, I can't believe you act that way. Talking about your new Christianity. Or maybe they said something like this. Don't you talk to me about the Bible and question my Christianity. You ever do that? You ever hear anybody say that? And that hurts. 
And because it's family, because it's relatives, because it's children, we cower. We try different methods with them that we don't try with other people. We change direction. We compromise. We, we call it trying to understand more. No, it's compromise. We're compromising. And I understand you're wanting to do this because it's family, right? And everybody here knows there are two Bibles. Some of you are using two Bibles even now in your life. Everybody should abide by that except in your family you have reasons why you can't or are not going to. So what happens here is, I'm not going to try to be mean. I don't try, it just comes out that way. The devil is using your family against you and against your new friend to try to get you to leave from here. Go to Matthew chapter number 10. Can you hear me? Is this up? Am I okay? Okay, good. Matthew chapter number 10. New Testament, first book, Matthew. Chapter number 10. The reason I'm bringing this up, a lot of reasons. Number one, nobody preaches on this stuff anymore. Number two, it is a reality and you're going to run into it just simply for being kind and standing for Jesus. So if you have this overflow and you go, you don't believe what happened to me this weekend. Yeah, I went to this Baptist church that I got saved. Man, I feel great. I'm, I'm just telling you. They'll patronize you at first or maybe even go, that's wonderful, that's good. But as soon as you disagree with them or you make them feel bad about something, I'm just telling you, they're going to attack. Just let you know that. Matthew chapter 10, look at verse number 34. Matthew 10, verse number 34. Now, a lot of people think that Jesus came to show love to the world because all Jesus is is love. We all know that, right? Then you answer this question. Verse 34, think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I am not come to send peace. What? Who's talking here? Jesus. Jesus is talking. He said, but a sword. Some of us still can't figure this out in our own families. What's causing the problem? The chafe between me and my children. The chafe between my husband and I. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. And you do. And you can't figure out why there's this big problem in your home. Somebody's trying to put out somebody's light. Yet we, we, we don't understand the Bible. Yeah, I want you to listen to any religious program you want to. And you tell me the next time somebody preaches along these lines that the enemies of your own household are out to destroy you. So watch what happens in the next verse. But a sword, verse 35, for I am come to set a man at variance against his... Now watch the people here. Watch the people. Father, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Boy, God's really pushing things here, isn't he? And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Foes an enemy. He that loveth mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. Now, what he's getting ready to say here, well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse number 36, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. This is what David was saying. My mother's children, they're the ones attacking me. And David goes to fasting, he goes to prayer, he's going to the Lord trying to figure this out, what's going on. And he's so frustrated and always, he's wept for them, he's fasted for them, he's prayed for them. Like some of you with your lost relatives. You've done everything except quit on the Lord to try to win them over. It's not working yet, is it? Do you know why? That's not the way to do it. 
I'll try to help you in a minute. He said, but preacher, why? why? Why does it have to be this way? Why would Christ do this? Listen to me carefully. Don't misunderstand. Christ did not make anyone. He did not make anyone act this way against their will. Oh, there you are again. Hi. Something was, did you see that? No, it wasn't floating. You saw it. You t- t- thank you, Brother Usher. God bless you. Whether you did or not, just agree. Yeah, I saw it, preacher. There it was. What was it? I, whatever you thought it was is what I thought it was. Christ did not make anyone act against their will. It is when he entered into your life, that's what started causing the problem. Him being there. Thus, they do not want you around because of him. I'm just trying to let you in on why your family will let you come around if you obey their rules. One rule, we can't have you passing that stuff out. You you ruined everything the last time. The reason I say this is, first of all, I can show you a lot of scripture in the Bible and a lot of times when this happened. But one day, uh, when our, our family's a mess, our, our family was a mess. Yeah, most of them are dead, so uh, they're not a mess anymore. Well, they may be a mess, who knows? Uh, and so, and my sister's here, good to have her with me tonight. So my mom decided, uh, let's all of us get together for Christmas. Who wouldn't be for that, right? Well, my brother had gotten saved about a year or so before that, and I had just recently gotten saved, and, and so we got together and said, yeah, well, let's go there. We'd get the whole family together, that'd be good good idea. So we all got together and by the time it was all over with uh, my mom pulled us off to the side and said look, look, we're going to try this again next year. But we don't want you talking about church and all that kind of stuff. You really upset everybody. So if that's, watch, ultimatum. If that's what you're going to do, I'd rather you did not come back next year for Christmas. Now what you just did was put Christ over here and my family here And I have to make the decision. And the problem is, you keep trying to make that decision every time you turn around. I don't. I've already made that decision. Christ comes before my family. I I know, I know, I know, I know what you've been taught. Family comes above everything. No, it does not. No, it does not. Look at me, Grandma. No, it does not. Look at me, Mommy. No, it does not. The thing is here is that light Bible says, hath no fellowship with darkness. The reason that's causing the problem, light has come into your life. And no matter how small you think that light is, it, it, it is a blowtorch when you walk into a house where nothing but darkness and people who are not saved are in darkness according to the Bible. A person who gets saved has light in their life and light and darkness cannot dwell together. God said so. That's going to cause a problem. Shortly after I got saved, again, talk, my mom just didn't understand. I could show you a verse uh, in the Bible that, and I didn't understand. It caught me completely off guard. Now, when I was dealing drugs and running around the world, my mom said, you always have a room to come in. You always have your bedroom. You come in and stay. As long as you're in by 11. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I wasn't. And so she said, you always have a room here. I, she, my mom knew what I was doing. She knew who I ran with. She knew what was going on. So that was no surprise. And yet she said, you always have a room here. You won't believe this. I got saved. I'd get up in the morning. I'll tell you my whole routine. I got up in the morning. Now, I just got saved, so give me a break, okay, on some of this. I just got saved, 
and uh, just that weekend, and I, my brother said, hey, there's a good program on the radio, Dr. Olive B. Green. I think you'll like that. So until we get together in the afternoon, uh, you may want to listen to him. I'd get up in the morning. Man, I was so happy. I'd get up in the morning. I'd roll right out of bed to my knees. First thing. And I didn't go, oh, God, help my family. Save all these wretched sinners. I didn't do that. I just prayed. God helped me throughout the day. I wasn't even sure how to pray yet, but I was praying. Then I'd get up from there and I'd put my shorts on, my sandals, grab my cigarettes and go out to the breakfast table. Here's what you're thinking, what, what? You, you, you'd have been good even before you got saved, weren't you? And uh, so I, I got saved and, and I'm sitting there and I'm eating breakfast. Now, before I did that, I bowed my head. No, that's not what I did. But I didn't yell and scream and give sacrifice either. I simply said, Jesus, thank you for this food. Thank you for helping me get up this morning. Something like, amen. And I just started eating. While I was eating, I was looking at a book that was bought for me or my Bible. And I wasn't bothering anybody. I was just doing that. I wasn't purposely setting out to offend anybody. Then I'd get done from there. I'd go out, make sure I'd keep a golden tan, you know. I'd go outside. I'd listen to Olive B. Green on the radio, smoking my cigarettes, and just minding my own business. I'm offending people already. Look at them leaving. And uh, sit down, I'm talking to you. Uh, and, and so uh, I was 20 years old and been around the world and stuff and back home. And now my mom knew what I was. And a week or so before that, I told her I went to church. I got saved. She had no idea what that meant, no idea at all. Just like many of your friends have no idea what you just said. Now, you say church, they got some kind of weird idea of what that maybe means. But when you talk about salvation and getting born again, they, they really don't know what that means. And so my mom one day, and that's all I did, and then I went to work. My brother and I, we'd study Bible for an hour, hour and a half before work, and then we'd go off to work over at his place, who happened to live in the house right behind me. And I'd go there. One day my mom said, you know, I think it's time you found a place of your own. Okay. I mean, I was 20. Couldn't live in my mom's basement until I was 35, fellas. And so I said, okay. I, it never dawned on me why she would say that until I started understanding something about the Bible. See, it wasn't me just being there because I was doing drugs and she let me stay there. I was out running and doing what I wanted to and she let me stay there. The only thing that changed was I got saved. It never dawned on me at the time. But I think it's over in Peter or John, one of those, that talks about because I would not run to the same excess of rioting. Therefore, they attack you. See, you're not doing what they think is right and wrong anymore. You're walking a different path. And because of that, they don't understand those things. So what happened? As long as everybody in that house was in darkness, and they all were, except my brother and I, uh, anyway, no, just kidding. And, and so, uh, no, I wasn't kidding. Uh, and so what happened was this light, one was actually living in the house and one was right behind coming over constantly witnessing to my mom and my sisters. And then we started inviting them to church. What's that going to hurt? And boy, did it start. And that's, that's the way that it goes. You see, that thing is, as long as everybody is in darkness, as long as everybody's that way, there's no irritation. We're all in darkness. There's no guilt. We're all doing wrong. There's, there's no out of place. We're all out of place. 
So you don't recognize how bad off you are or the sinfulness that's going on. There is no condemnation and feeling guilty about what you do. Think about what some of you used to do in your own home around your mom and family, and everybody just went, that's the way they are. Then you got saved. And all of a sudden, you're making everybody uncomfortable. You see, I stopped doing all that, and I'm making everybody uncomfortable. Why is that? We don't understand that. But when the light of Jesus comes in, something has to go. It cannot continue on the way it is. What did he say? I come to set a man at variance. I didn't come to bring peace. As soon as I come into a person, I was thinking about you uh, right after church this morning, and it took one person to start doing right. Somebody has to get into the family. So the Lord tries to win one person, and that one person is to go into that family and stand their ground and witness in order to do that. Now you're going to be attacked. They don't understand. You've changed. Oh, you think you're better than us because you go to church all of a sudden. I don't know if a Christian's ever said that, but they get accused of it all the time. So what happened here is this. Remember, it's all about Christ, and that's why chapter 10 of Matthew and verse number 37, you're there. Look at verse number 37, right? Here it comes. Here comes your cross bearer. You cannot bear Jesus' cross. Here's the cross he said you're going to have to bear. Watch this. He said, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He didn't say you weren't saved. He said you're putting a price tag on our relationship compared to your mom or your dad over me. Watch what he says. He that loveth son or daughter. Oh, how often does that happen? My kids come before everything. You just messed up. You just messed up. I'm just telling you, you, messed up. And here's where the fight's going to take place. Anything that you love more than Christ is going to be something the devil's going to use against you. So watch what he says. Son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross, in context, he's talking about these relationships and follow after me is not worthy of me. If you will not side with me and walk with me down life's highway, even against father, mother, son, daughter, you're not worthy of me. He didn't say he didn't love you. Didn't say he didn't understand you. Didn't say he liked you anymore. Didn't say he was leaving you. Didn't say you weren't saved. He's just saying you're not worthy. After all I did for you and all it took was a child going, well, I'm going to leave unless we change, and you just caved. I wish I could tell you how many women put their foot down and threatened their husbands. If you continue to go to church like that, I'm leaving you. I've received phone calls from the husband that simply said like this, preacher, I can't live without my wife. So you dump Christ and you dump where God put you over your wife. Has it ever dawned on you by kindly and prayerfully taking your stand and accepting the hurt that's due you, the things that Christ may do for your wife? You want to get somebody's attention? Let them unjustly attack you and hurt you, and then it dawns on them what they did. It's like, oh, my God, I was wrong. What did I do that for? But see, we won't go that extra mile, so we'll never know. So what happens here is it is hurtful. It's a, it's a choice. Do I have to love one more than the other? Yes. And it will be proof. Yes, you will. I know you're trying to avoid this. Why is it in the Bible? Why would God even bring it up 
if you can avoid that. It's like Christians today. Uh, I don't think I have to go through all that hurt. If I'm smart enough, I could get around that. Then why did God put it in the Bible? After you suffered a while, why did he put that in there? That I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Why did he put that in there? Why does he talk so much about suffering and hurt if we can get around it somehow? It's a part of our Christian life. Actually, it's a part of human growing up. It helps us a lot. Many, your own family and relatives, are the very ones piercing your heart. You pray, you worry, you come to church, you're trying to do everything you get. Oh, I wish they'd get in church and get saved. Oh, I just missed them. Oh, God, please. They're hurting you because they will not get, they don't see things your way. They're still in darkness, you're in light, and it's frustrating you. And then they're also attacking to get you to stop, to change your mind. Why is it you feel guilty in bad behaviors? Why do you feel like you're out of place? Why is it you have to compromise? Why is it your opinion, their opinion, their philosophies, and the things that they believe is right and wrong should take precedence over the person you just fell in love with, Jesus Christ? Why should you feel guilty? Why do you feel out of place at the family reunions? What did you do for people to constantly tell you, back off, get in your place, don't talk like that? Others were dressed indecently, not you, right? Others were dressed, not you, right, Christian? Right? Others' children terrorized everyone, not yours. By the way, that's not cute. Oh, look at him. He's throwing watermelon at everybody. Hey, I'll tell you what happened. He throw watermelon at me. He'd be eating that watermelon. I'll call you and let you. Yeah, we'll help him out, won't we? Others smoke, drink beer, play cussing music everywhere. Not you. Right? Others told dirty stories and, and, and jokes about everything and everybody's laughing and then they looked at you and you weren't and guess who caused the problem? You did. Oh, I suppose you don't think this is funny, do you? Yeah, that's because that church you're going to now. What's the attack of that? Don't take it personal. It's not about you. Jesus said before they ever hated you, they hated me. It's about him, your new friend that came to your life. It's not that you talk about the Bible all the time. Look, I go, well, I used to, but uh, it's not like you would say, okay, everybody settle down, put your beer away, I'm getting ready to preach. Get your Bible out, your family Bible, and you start preaching. No, that's not what you did. If you didn't like something, most people never go like this. They didn't go like this. Hey, 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 that's sinful, knock it off. You just turned and went the other way. But what you did by doing that was show disapproval. And that made them feel guilty. So let me get this right. I have to agree with what lost people do or I should be ashamed of myself. I can't disagree. I can't have my own opinion. I can't have my own, I can't live the way I want. No, because darkness wants everybody in darkness. And God said, I'm sending you into the darkness just like he did in the beginning of the world to bring light into the darkness.
to the darkness. It's the only hope that they've got. We have to understand all that. They attack and try to put out your light because just by you being among them is offensive. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, if I just live right in, maybe I'm being too caustic and, and maybe I'm being too pushy. And you keep making all the, 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 the changes to your life you possibly can. And this is what you're doing. Now you have no effect on them at all. But you're very patient, very wise, very backward, very ashamed. And you actually think by compromise you'll win them over. That's why they try to dim or put out your light because it's blinding to them. What, what other choice do they have? If they agree with you, then they're wrong, right? If they stay the way they are, they're wrong. So they have to come to Christ, the one that you have, or it's never going to work. That's why they try to get you to compromise. That's why they try to use family ties against you. That's why they say things like, you think you're better because now you go to church. If you've never heard that before, it's just, everybody hears that. They say things like, it's not necessary to, go ahead, fill in the blank. Here they are, cussing, drinking, running around, sleeping all over the place, and they're going to tell you what's necessary and not necessary. And we feel bad about it. Man, maybe I shouldn't do it that way. Because we're a young Christian, we don't know any better. Folks, it's not that I'm hard-hearted and, and straightforward and just going to tear people up. I don't do that. Actually, I'm, I'm probably tougher with you than I am people out in the world. But I'm not compromising for you. Uncle Bill is not coming by the house. He's not going to drink, but he's going to put his beer in my refrigerator to keep it cold until he's able to leave. See, I put my foot down and you're not drinking in my house. Can I put it in your refrigerator to keep it cold until I leave? Well, yeah, I guess that'll be okay. You know why you did that? Because you're trying to win him over. You think by giving in a little bit, We'll win him over. No, the only thing you did was give in a little bit. And the next time you'll give in a little bit more. And the next time, why? Because you did last time. This is why they say those things. Oh, I suppose, name whatever relative, that we're sinners now too. See, none of this is fair. There's nothing fair about all this, but Jesus tried to warn. It's not really you, Christian. It's not really you. It's Christ. Let me give you some things to help you out with this, okay? Because a lot of us, it catches you completely off guard. I'm glad I had an older brother who was there for me and said, listen to me. I, I pleaded with him just to show you how young Christians are. My mom and my grandmother and my sisters, when they did go, it was kind of like, let's go to the Seventh-day Adventist church. And uh, I, so I told my brother, I said, Bill, look, it may not be what the Bible talks about, but, but they're very sincere about going there. Certainly God will forgive them and take them heaven because they won't. I said, but, but they really mean that they actually think this is what's right. He said, doesn't make a bit of difference. I thought, well, how mean of him? That's our mom. That's my mom. That's my sisters. And you're telling me and Jesus Christ is the only way or they're going to die and go to hell. You know what he said? Yes. He wasn't happy about it. He's simply stating a Bible fact. It doesn't make any difference how sincere you are. It doesn't make any difference what you're ignorant of. Look, you can shoot me by accident on purpose. I'm still shot. The only thing that takes a person to heaven is Jesus Christ. 
And that's why the devil tries to use other people, including family, against you to put a stop to your witness. Number one, write this down. They're blind and do not realize what they're doing. They, they really don't. The Bible said the devil hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel, who is the image of uh, who Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, we get, you, he, the world is getting us to shut up. We don't run bus routes. We don't pass out pamphlets. We don't go soul winning. We're not allowed to talk on the job anymore. We'll lose our job. Who in the world talked us into? Who got us into that corner? Number two, this struggle inside you with your family will prove to you who you love the most. It will. It will prove to you. Nobody has to tell you. You'll prove to yourself who you love the most. You're going to pick that church and Christ over us. They never say Christ. It's always the church. Nobody says, I hate Christ because you Nobody says that. They hate the preacher. They hate the church. Those new friends of yours. That's what they, you, you guys there. That, so watch what happens here. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. I'm just quoting Bible right now. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You're going to prove to yourself who you love the most. God set it up this way. You need to know that. And if you pick family over Christ, he said, you're not worthy of me. So who's misleading you to give up the way you live for Christ? Who's putting pressure on you, sir, to change direction, location, belief? Who's doing that to you? I bet it's a family member. Because most other people go, ah, it's Uncle Harry. He never knows what he's talking about anyway. Yeah, it's a guy down on the job, but trust me, he's a whack job. We just kind of write it off after a while. But what do you do when it's your own family? I mean a close relative. What do you do then? And you've been trying to win them over. Now what are you going to do? Number three, the more you give in, the more you make exceptions and compromise, they will attack even more. Because now you just handed them some things to use against you. Oh, you changed your mind. I thought you said you were right. Now what are you going to do? How are you going to defend that? How are you going to tell them that I wasn't right. I never thought you'd do that again. You ever heard people say that? You mess up one time, that's what they're going to say. Huh, I thought you were right. Even you can't live it, can you? I'm just telling you, it's going to be thrown back into your teeth. And you got me, you got on me about me doing this. Look what you just did. You quit. And actually, that's what they were after all the time. Now listen to me carefully. Here's, here's, here's Bell philosophy. You ready? I think the whole world's waiting to see a good Christian. They're so tired of phonies and people they know are not right with God talking about the Bible all the time. Even sinners know who that is. But at the same time, if they see a real Christian, it brings conviction and they don't like that. But they need to see that. It's the only hope that they've got. Number four, you need to understand, you give in may ease your battle, but you'll eventually lose the war. It may be easier for you right now you're going to lose that war. Don't give in because you are an outcast in the family or that you're lonely and the kids don't want you around. It's amazing how adult kids all of a sudden get so nervy about stuff. Isn't it? 
Like all of a sudden, they become God. You don't tell me what to do. Let me see the very woman who powdered the right end, fed you, bought groceries for you, taught you, protected you, watched over you. Now you don't need to listen to because you're all grown up. First of all, you're not right with God. There's no way you can be right with God. Because the Bible said, children, obey your parents. didn't say when you like it. It says because they said, period. One of these days, the word of God may get through to them if you don't change. And they'll be looking for a real Christian. They'll be looking for that real Christian. And they know who you are. That's why they were fighting against you so hard. You were starting to have an effect. And their first, their first idea is to fight back because I don't understand. I don't like it. That's not necessary. God put you there for that reason. It's the only hope they've got. You compromise and give in. If they ever get right, what are you going to tell them? What are you going to say to them? Number five, don't ever quit hoping and working for their salvation. Don't, don't ever, I don't care what they do, no matter how much, you can't do that. You just can't do that. We do. There are people that I've given up on, and I shouldn't. There are people that I quit praying for. Hey, you're a big person. You want to do that? That's your business. God saved you and put you there for a reason. But trying to win them over isn't compromise. Compromise is not a winning thing. It's, that's not the way you want to do it. They can give up on you, but you can't give up on them. And that hurts, doesn't it? I can't believe the way they're treating me. David said, I fasted for them. I prayed for them. I wept for them. And look what they did. There's, there's nothing fair about that, is there? Christian, quit living in, 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 in Alice in Wonderland or the Wizard of Oz, the, the golden, um, the yellow brick road, the golden whatever, whatever that is. Why? It's not real. It's fantasy. It's called a story, a made-up something. This is reality for the Christian, and we have to learn and understand that. Number six, many times witnessing falls on stony ground. It's true. Seemed like it made no effect. Have you ever thought about this? How about you working that ground with a plow of prayer? Compromise is not the way to do it. Prayer, even though they're not listening here, prayer has a way of getting here when nobody else is around. They could think, yeah, that service wasn't that bad, but man, I just don't understand. See, God's working on that. Daniel, when he uh, was praying to God for an answer, 21 days he prayed. For 21 days he prayed. No answer came. When the angel finally showed up, he said, Daniel, thou beloved of God, from the very first day, God heard your prayer and sent me. Wait a minute. It's that far to heaven? Three weeks? No, there was a battle going on. There was a battle. Let's just assume for the sake of arguing that the person you're trying to win to Christ the devil's trying everything he can, and he does, to blind their mind so they don't see this, so they don't understand it, so they don't get convicted over it. Now, what's the use? It could have been your prayer was the only thing causing that angel and God to try to fight their way through that hellish atmosphere that's all around us to get through to answer your prayer. How in the world do you think somebody like George Bell got saved? How do you think a brother like mine got saved or my sister got saved? Somebody was praying for us. In their innocence, my brother was giving her all he had for my little brother to get saved. And sure enough, I turned him down. 
But he would not give up. Every time I'm standing at that back door, he didn't care. I said, Bill, you keep doing this. I'm not coming. He paid no attention to me whatsoever. Every time he walked out, why don't you go to church with me tonight? Bill, that's enough. I don't want to hear it. Next night he'd come over. Look, we got church this weekend. Why don't you go to church with me? He wouldn't give up. You've given up. We've given up. He was the only one that ever witnessed to me. In 20 years, nobody ever stopped George Bell and said, can we tell you back around? Nobody picked us up on a bus and took us to a Bible-believing church. Nobody came to our door and knocked on it and witnessed to us. I asked my mom, Mom, in all the places we've ever lived, did anybody stop and say, can the Bell kids ride a bus to our church? She said, not that I know of. Did anybody stop and knock on the door and say, can we tell you about Christ? She said, no, not that I know of. Something's wrong with our Christianity. We will forsake Christ and what he told us to do so we don't offend anybody. Christ himself is offensive to a lost world. Number seven, don't forget, if Christ was not shining through you, no one would bother. But that's kind of good, right? Somebody's recognized Christ in you. Somebody recognized a change in you. Look, if they didn't, something's really wrong. But they recognize it. That's a good thing, right? I, when I first got saved, I ran around some very, very wicked, bad people. And, uh, but it's the only friends I had. I thought they were friends. And I knew where they hung out. So the next Monday after church, I thought, well, there's nothing to do. I think I'll go down to where they were at. I couldn't believe how much these people cussed. Man, it just burnt my ears up. I kept thinking, man, why do they have to keep saying that? And when they used God, oh my goodness sakes. Now look, I used to I used to do quite a bit. But all of a sudden it was different. And that term. And I actually spoke out and said, Hey, 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 you have to keep saying that. They looked at me like I just got retarded. I didn't even realize what I was doing. I was making them feel very uncomfortable because I got saved and instantly began to change. I didn't attack them. I just started sidestepping some of the things they did. I couldn't get around it. I would be washing my car, and sure enough, I'm just telling you what happened. I needed some change, and so I started to walk down the base to get some change, and I thought, well, there's, I'm not going to tell you his name. You may know who I'm talking about. And uh, I stopped there, and the guy looked at me, and he said, Hey, Bill. I said, Yeah. Hey, man, how you doing? Fine. How about yourself? Good. Oh, man, couldn't be better. They always lie. Oh, couldn't be better. The guy I was talking to was a drunk, had been a drunk ever since he was a teenager. And the first thing he said, Hey, you still, um, um, you know, um, you going to church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, Yes, sir. Oh, man, that's great. That's called patronizing. It's an insincere compliment. Next thing he said, oh, man, I got to go. Look what time it is. We did everything together. Now you don't even have time to say hi to me if I go. What changed? My new friend. My new friend, that's all. He already heard that I was going to church. Number eight, do your best not to give them any real bullets to shoot at you. You're going to mess up. I'm just telling you right now. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. Sometimes you won't even realize it, but they'll be quick to point it out. And sometimes you did, and you realize it, and they don't want you to forget it. 
try your best not to give them any real bullets to shoot at you. Let them make up stuff. They're, they're going to anyway. They did even about Jesus. They couldn't get anything on him, so they lied about it. They'll do the same thing to you. Number nine, ready for this one? Here, here, here's the biggest thing you can do that's going to help you. Go on. Don't quit. I can't get people to understand this. No matter what you're going through, go to church. No matter how you feel, go to church. No matter what happens to you in your family, around your family, go to church. Guess the first thing you stop doing? Going to church. Thursday night, Sunday night. First thing you start doing. That was the message. How many people could use this message right now, but they're home and thinking about quitting? Why are you thinking about quitting? Because of the hurt. The most painful hurt you'll go through is when family attacks you and says, don't come around anymore. We don't want your kind here. And then you think about compromising. We have lost whole families because of their family members. Somebody finally put their foot down. They didn't put their foot down for anything else, but when it comes to church and doing that, they do, especially when it comes to family. Preacher, you expect me to turn on my family? I didn't ask you to turn on your family. I asked you don't turn on Christ. Just keep standing for him. Well, I can't lose my kids over church. You're not losing your kids over church. You're losing your kids over Christ. So quit trying to pad the whole thing. That's what you're doing. And when you compromise and begin to back away and say, well, it's just church, you're putting a worth on Christ. You do know the church is his bride. You do know that Paul and all of them, including Christ, gave his life for the church, local church. He gave his life for that. And now you act like it's no big deal. Your family got you, didn't they? Then finally, number 10. You did right. You didn't do wrong. You did right. You didn't do wrong by sticking with your Savior. And I promise you, or the Bible does, when he comes back, he said, and my reward is with me. On that day, you'll say, or maybe you already have, with tears and a broken heart, Jesus, I don't understand. I love you, and I, I can't turn, but my family, they're so upset with me. Then you'll understand who you love the most. And when Jesus comes back, he said, my reward's with me. But in another place, he said, many shall be ashamed at my appearing. You chose a child or a mom or dad over Jesus? How are you going to explain that? It's not going to work, is it? What's causing the problem is not you. It's your new friend. Because you didn't really have that problem until he showed up. So let's place it squarely where it belongs. And he even said, they hated me before they ever hated you. And I did not come to bring peace to your family and have everybody love you. I actually came to irritate things, stir things up so people recognize the difference between what they're doing and what they need. And that's where you come in in that family, by you living right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you've done. Dear